Well, we have been in Colossians, and if you would, turn to Colossians 3. And we will begin in verse 18 as we read God's Word together. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. In Colossians 3, 12 through 17, Paul has elaborated on the ways in which the Christian community is to live out its new identity in Christ. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, Scythian, barbarian, slave or free, but Paul says Christ is all and in all, and that we are all equal before God, and we all live before God on equal footing. We're to view ourselves as members of one body, looking out for each other's interests before our own interest, and loving one another as Christ has loved us, and wanting the lordship of Christ to intersect every area of our lives in this passage Paul drills down even further to to family life, to life where we live and work with these instructions that we might demonstrate the lordship of Christ in the places that we live and work. Paul wants the Lord to invade the area of our lives where We live day by day, the mundane, the normal, the day-to-day. He wants to invade our lives with instruction so that we do what we have been transformed to do, which is live as Christ is Lord over us. Live so that we hold up the Lord in all his glory. These are the most basic relationships we have where we live and where we work. And the question that we can ask today is, does, does the gospel really work in my marriage? Does the gospel really work with my children? Does the gospel really impact where I work? Is the lordship of Christ And this is what Paul is asking. Is the Lordship of Christ on display in these relationships? Am I 
holding up Christ in all things, especially where most of my life is lived out. These are areas where it does become clear where the gospel has made an impact and has truly transformed our lives, where, where we do live life. What, what does our family life look like? What is life like behind closed doors? Is the lordship of Christ preeminent? Is the unparalleled image of Jesus Christ lifted up in our family lives? Is it, is it so <clears throat> where, we, where we work as well? Is it a life that is submitted to Jesus, that grows in submission to his lordship? <clears throat> Excuse me. Perfect obedience? No. Growing obedience? Most definitely. That's what Paul is after here. And the, the biblical principles that we read about here with respect to family lives, family life and work life are really they're, they're biblical principles, they're biblical instructions that the world despises. And yet they are the very things that the world so desperately needs as they watch their own families disintegrate. They need Christ. They need his transforming power. They need his transforming grace. They need to see the transforming work of Christ in us. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, just makes this one statement. He says, the scriptures are radically elevating. They are radically elevating. Think about this in our culture today. Wives, submit to your husbands. That is radically elevating. Children, obey your parents. Husbands, love your wives. Fathers, do not provoke your children. And then we get to this passage, slaves, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But these verses are radically elevating. In the first century, these radical thoughts... They were radical then too because they confronted an unbelieving society that had mocked Christ. An unbelieving society that did not believe in Christ until they saw his transforming power in the lives of husbands and wives and children and slaves. The gospel transforms whatever it touches. It powerfully transforms, and it transformed the family life of the Colossian church, and it does not stop there. The gospel is intended to transform us as well and to lead us to a life that's lived, submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to a life that is holding up Jesus Christ and his image. Now, Paul's teaching on equality in Christ in Colossians, which we read about earlier, for everyone, was for everyone, was for wives and children and slaves. Literally, it turned family life upside down. In every, in every city that a church was planted, but here Paul is addressing the church in Colossae. The, the domestic rules given here in, with the Colossians were vastly different 
than what was normal in that day and age. What Paul writes here, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Children obey your parents and fathers do not provoke your children. Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. All these things are radical to the culture of that day and age because All are now serving under the lordship of Christ and all are being referred to by Paul as equal in Christ. Oh, uh, James Boyce in his commentary in Ephesians about this parallel passage said this. He said, when Paul wrote this most lovely passage, speaking about husbands and wives and children, he was not simply restating the view that every man held. He was calling men and women to a new fidelity and a new purity and a new fellowship in married life. It is the simple fact of history that no one in this world, with the single exception of children, owes more to Christ than women. It is impossible to exaggerate the cleansing effect that Christianity had on ordinary, everyday home life in the ancient world. And so my proposition this morning is this. Our confession that Jesus is Lord must be manifested in our daily lives, especially where we live and work. Our confession that Jesus is Lord must be manifested in our daily lives, especially where we live and work. We need to go back to verse 17, though, in Colossians to start us off, because actually verse 17 literally is sort of the runway for these next instructions that Paul gives us, starting in verse 18. Look at verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And whatever you do, wives, submit to your husbands. And whatever you do, husbands, love your wives. And whatever you do, children, obey your parents. And on. We need verse 17 as the starting point for these instructions. Whatever we do, we do it for Jesus. That we might display the glory that he deserves for the transformation that has taken place in our lives. Our lives, especially where we live and work, are to hold up the image that we first read about, the image of Christ in Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, including our lives, he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And that is what Paul is after here, that we would experience the fullness of Christ 
in our marriages and in our parenting and in our employment, in the, in the places where we live and work, that the fullness of Christ would be on display, that the preeminence of Christ would be on display, that the transforming power and grace of God would be on display as we live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The way we hold up Christ, the way we hold up the image of Christ is by our submission as believers to His Lordship in every area. We hold up Christ by our willingness to embrace the counter-cultural imperatives we read about here starting in verse 18. These are countercultural imperatives. Go on. <laughs> Go on any news show today and say, wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Oh, these are countercultural. And they are to be seen in our lives. We are to live lives of submission. We are to live lives of sincerity and service. We are to live in such a manner. And in these relationships here in, in verses 18 through 4.1, the, the lordship of Christ is preeminent. Look, look, read along with me again. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, bondservants, work heartily as for the Lord. Verse 24, and not for men, knowing from the Lord you will receive. And verse 24, bondservants, you are serving the Lord Christ. What? is preeminent in this passage. The Lord. It's the, the preeminence of this passage is actually not the instructions. It's Christ. So my two main points this morning are simply this. Christ's lordship is seen in our, in our submission... And secondly, Christ's lordship is seen in the sincerity of our service. Look at this first one. Christ's lordship is seen in our submission. In each of the the pairings in this section, uh, a submitted role is mentioned first. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to in the Lord. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. But don't miss that also husbands and fathers and, and slave owners or masters are also to be submitted. It's not just a one-way submission. These men, these men are submitted to the lordship of Christ in the way they love their, hus- their wives. Husbands, love your wives. Fathers, do not provoke your children. And in verse 4, uh, 4 one, chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly. There is a mutual submission going on in these, in these pairings. But first, they are all submitted to Christ so that they can obey. 
wives, children, employees. You must be submitted to Christ so that you can submit to those who have the role of authority in your life. Men as husbands and fathers, as employers, we also must be submitted to Christ. Wives, but it begins with wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. How archaic that sounds. Many today think this this ancient culture was simply ignorant and stupid. That these words from Paul are ignorant and stupid. But God's word is not defined by culture. That's not how we define God's word. How could, but how could Paul as a man get away with a statement like this? It's because God established a divine order long before he ever created the world. This was in place long before Paul ever wrote these words. Authority and roles and submissions have always existed in the Trinity. That's where it begins. And it, it, it bleeds into the church and into the home and into society. Jesus submits to the Father. The church submits to Christ. Children submit to their parents. Employees submit to their employers. Soldiers submit to their superiors. Wives submit to their husbands. Submission is possible because all are equal in dignity and worth before the Lord. It's not about standing before the Lord. It's about roles that God has created. Wives can submit to their husband's leadership because it is fitting in the Lord. Again, Paul draws us back to your submission as wives to your husband begins with Christ. Which is opposite the behavior we see in Genesis 3, which distorted the roles of husbands and wives, where we see women wanting to usurp the authority of men, and we see men not treating their wives as they deserve, but being domineering. Paul tells us this must not be so. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, though, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. As men, we have to be submitted to Christ so that we can live out this passage. If you are not submitted in your relationship to Christ, if you are not living under the lordship of Christ, men, you will not treat your wives as they deserve. You will be harsh with them. You will not bear the fruit of the Spirit. You will not be gentle and patient and kind and forbearing and loving. I think actually this requirement, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Honestly, I think it's harder than wives submitting to husbands. Although I get it, it can be hard at times for wives. But Paul brings the level of our loving our wives in Ephesians to as Christ loves the church. Now, I'm never going to attain loving Marilyn as Christ loves the church. I, I'm, just, I'm just not going to get there. 
And yet that's, that's the, the, the standard. That's the bar that's been raised for me as a husband to love my wife as Jesus loves you. But that's what I'm to do. And not to be harsh with my wife, but to love her in that manner. Paul here, too, is subtly and radically dismantling the culture of the day. Understand, in, in, ancient, in ancient Roman times, in ancient culture, um, wives and children and slaves were property. They, they didn't enjoy the equality and life that you experience today. A husband could divorce his wife for any reason and kick her out of the house. If a, if a father didn't like the child he had, he could put the child on the street. In, in the Romans, they called it patria potestis, literally meaning the father's power or men ruling with an iron fist. In Roman culture, men exercised absolute rule over families, over wives, over children, over slaves. It was absolute. And this ruling was typically not kind and not gentle and not loving, but often harsh and angry and retaliatory. It makes sense why Paul commands husbands to love their wives in this culture here. But even 2,000 years later, men still battle the temptation to be domineering, to rule unkindly and unjustly. And that is why these words transcend the culture of that day and fit with us today. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And then Paul goes on in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything. We had that plastered on our house when our kids were growing up. Not that it didn't work, but it was up Children, obey your parents in everything. Prior to the transforming grace of God in the lives of the Colossian church, children had no status. By making this statement, children, obey your parents in everything, Paul is elevating children. He's putting them on equal footing as those before the Lord. Not equal footing in respect to mom and dad's authority and leadership in the home, but equal footing as their worth before God, whereas before they had no worth. Paul is dismantling very subtly the culture's view of family life here. And he is challenging children that you are to obey your parents because it pleases the Lord. That children, you as well, are to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ. But then he doesn't stop. He goes on to dads, fathers. Verse 21, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Dads, we're we're not living in the old ways. 
We're not living in patria potestis. We're not living with the Father's power and an iron fist. Dads, just as you love your wives and are not harsh with them, love your children. Do not provoke them lest they become discouraged and embittered. No, live with your children in a patient and understanding way. Dads, demonstrate the lordship of Christ in the way you treat your children. Not using anger as a form of discipline and as a form of manipulative control to get your children to do the right things. James writes that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness that God desires. And how often parents can attempt to use anger, an angry voice, angry expressions to get their children to obey. It's not how it works. It's not what the Lord has called us to. In fact, this tells us just the opposite. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Do not be harsh with them. Men, as husbands and dads, we we have this calling to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ in our hearts, in our attitudes, in our speech, to the way we treat our wives and our children. Oh yeah, the the calling here for wives to submit is important, for children to obey is important, but as husbands and fathers, oh, we want to hold up the image of Christ in the way we live. And then he goes on, verse 22 through 25. And it's interesting that this is the largest portion of this section. Bondservants. Bondservants. Or slaves. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. With respect to submission, Paul addresses slaves and slave owners. Now, the inclusion of slaves in this section might It might appear a bit strange to us, but not to the original readers. In this this culture, there was the thought that up to 50% of the population lived in slavery. Whether they they were captured in slavery or they sold themselves into slavery due to financial trouble. Slaves were an integral part of the of the ancient family household. And so there is much to be learned from this. Now, and slaves are to obey their earthly masters in everything because they fear the Lord. Yes, the slave has a master on earth. And Paul says that they should obey 
but more importantly, they have a master as well who require, is required to be submitted to the Lord. Now, just a brief word on Paul and slavery and Scripture and why Scripture does not condemn slavery. Because that is a stumbling block for many. And, and this, is, this is not the time to do a broad teaching on that. Um, I trust, I hope we are able to spend time in the book of Philemon where we can learn more about that. But in fact, in Colossians, it, it could actually seem that Paul is supportive of slavery. I, I, he is not. Paul is not, he's not commending slavery at this time. But you have to understand that slavery was integral to every area of life in that world. And there's, there's much that has to be understood before you can just make a broad sweeping comment. He should have condemned, condemned slavery. Doug Moo said this, at first sight, Paul's command that slaves obey their masters seems simply to endorse that status quo. But we need to see that what he writes here also subtly, subtly undermines it. First, it is significant that Paul chooses to address slaves at all, implying not only that they are assembled with other Christians of the Colossian church to hear the letter being read, but that they are responsible people who need to choose a certain kind of behavior. In other words, up until this point, slaves would not be in the meeting and slaves would not be considered on equal footing and slaves would not be hearing this letter. And they would not be considered responsible to live a certain way. Second, Paul clearly relativizes the status of the slave's master. In other words, he diminishes the slave's master by repeatedly reminding both slave and master of the ultimate master to whom both are responsible, the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, Paul never hints that he endorses the institution of slavery. He tells slaves and masters how they are to conduct themselves within the institution, but it is a bad misreading into his teaching to imply he is supportive. Understand that this literally was the beginning of the undermining of slavery. This is where it began. This wasn't an endorsement. No, this was a very subtle but important instruction where slavery, slavery began to, over time, over centuries, unravel. Not that men did not take this and use this wrongly to support their view on slavery and their domination of other people, but that's not what Paul was doing here. Both, in fact, both Philemon and Onesimus, if you remember in the book of Philemon, Onesimus is a slave who ran away, gets saved. Paul sends him back to Philemon and talks to Philemon and writes this letter basically saying, look, receive him back not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Well, understand that both Philemon and Onesimus are members of the Colossian church. The one who brought this letter to the Colossian church is Onesimus, the slave. 
And so Paul, as this letter is being read, Paul writes not just to the Colossian church, but he's also addressing Philemon and Onesimus. And think about what is being heard by all the other slaves in the room. This is radical. Paul is working much to undo the typical slave-master relationship and to bring it under the lordship of Christ. In fact, as Onesimus has brought this letter, his life has already been changed. And Paul yet still says, look, under this institution, I don't endorse the institution, but here's what I do endorse. Living for Christ in every situation. Living for Christ in every situation. And Paul doesn't stop with just slaves. He doesn't stop by saying, listen, don't, don't just obey your masters, but hey, masters, I've got something for you as well. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul addresses those slave owners clearly putting the fear of God into them by reminding them that they have a heavenly master who holds them to account for how they treat others. Now, it's quite appropriate in our day and age to draw away from the slave situation, an analogy, and, and, and bring this into employee and employer. Is the transforming grace of God on display in how you work? Look at verse 22. Employees, obey in everything those who are your employers, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Employees, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Is the transforming grace of God on display in how you work, in how you serve your employer, or how you treat your employees, is the transforming grace of God evident? Would those who look at you see that you are submitted to Christ? Listen, whatever your role, whether it's wife or husband or father or child or slave or master, the lordship of Christ is possible. Because you've been transformed by the gospel. And being transformed by the gospel, you can now submit your life to him. And then point two, Christ's lordship is seen in the sincerity of our, our, of our service. Not only is it seen in our submission, but Christ's lordship is seen in the sincerity of our service. Paul goes right to the heart. Verse 22, slaves, obey your masters in everything. Now, he said that to children just now, in everything. Those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Listen, only working hard when someone is watching 
is not working hard. Only working hard or in a manner so that you can get noticed is not working as you should. You are not working to get people to notice you. You are not working to be a people pleaser. You are working with a sincere heart, fearing God. That my work here, my employment, what I do, how I do it, it's because I fear the Lord. Because I'm submitted to Christ. Because I want to hold up the image of Christ in the way I, I live and the way I work and what people see in me. I don't do it to get noticed. My conduct is informed by the fear of the Lord. And my desire, most important, is to please Him above all things. Paul describes in verse 23... Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. He describes the way in which our work displays the transforming grace of God in us. Not complaining and not grumbling. Not with an eye towards being noticed and, and rewarded for that. But an eye towards serving the Lord and heartily working for Him. Paul is is simply, he's simply and profoundly reminding us that the gospel should affect everything. Has it affected everything? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a good worker. Just because you're a Christian and you tell people you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to be a great employee. A great employee is one who fears the Lord. A great employee is one who works heartily for the Lord, who who works not for the reward on earth, but as we see in verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. What inheritance? The inheritance promised in Christ, promised through the gospel, guaranteed by the Spirit, The promise of eternal life. The promise of the forgiveness of our sins secured on the cross. The promise for our sins being atoned. The promise of reconciliation to the Father. The promise of being cleansed from all sinful filth. The promise that the love of God is poured out upon us. That's our inheritance. And listen, whatever your role, whatever you do, whether you're a wife, husband, father, child, slave, master, whatever, I I, I think the, the, the crux of this whole passage is verse 24. I think it all falls down right here, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's it, brothers and sisters. When you leave here today, you are serving the Lord Christ. When your employer is impatient with you and you feel like you're being treated unjustly, and maybe you are, you are serving the Lord Christ. 
when you have an employee that just doesn't quite measure up at times, you are serving the Lord Christ by not treating them harshly. And there is here a warning for us. For, verse 25, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Now that is primarily referring back to the previous verses about slaves obeying their masters, but it also fits. It also can be in context with masters treat your slaves justly and fairly. If you don't, the wrongdoer will be paid back. Wise, if you do not submit, the wrongdoer will be paid back. Husbands, if you do not love your wives and are harsh with them, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong you've done. Because there is no partiality, Paul writes. In other words, God treats us all the same. Doesn't matter what your role is. You're all the same before the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we have been transformed. We are no longer slaves to sin. Our lives belong to Him We can live with faithful and joyful hearts under his lordship. That is what God has done for us in Christ. We can do this. The point of the passage, the point that Paul is making is, you can do this. Because the transforming grace of God has empowered you to do this. And I know it's your heart to do this. I know it's your desire to live like this because ultimately you're living for a reward on that final day that has well done, good and faithful servant. Now, my question, application is this. What role has God placed you in today? And it could be a number of those roles. Maybe you are an employer or and a father and a husband or maybe you're just a husband and an employee or doesn't matter. All these roles, all these roles, which one has God placed you in? All are called to live for Christ. All are called to live under the Lordship of Christ. So here are my, here are my questions for you today. <clears throat> what does the Lordship of Christ look like in your life right now? That's an evaluation question. That's a take this home and think about this question. What does the Lordship of Christ look like in my life right now? What does it look like as a wife or as a husband, as a parent, as a child, as an employee, as an employer? What does the Lordship of Christ look like in my life right now? And the second question is, would others be able to identify that Lordship in us? Do they see the transforming grace of God in our lives. And if there are changes that need to be made, change. Ask God. Ask God. Plead for grace. As Psalm 86, David writes, I plead for grace. Plead for grace. Plead for wisdom. As James writes, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all men without reproach. The world is looking at the church. And for the most part, it does not like what it sees. But we don't live for the world's commendation. We don't live for the reward of the world. 
We don't live for their approval. We live for God's approval. But we want to live in such a manner that the image of Christ is held up. Let's do so. Father, thank you for holding us up through your grace. Thank you for the work that you've done in our lives through your Son. And that we can, oh Lord, we can live under your Lordship and we can submit to you. And Lord, where there are couples that are struggling with submission and harshness and children struggling with obedience and employees and employers struggling, Lord, would you send your grace today to bring about transforming grace? Would you, Lord, help these men and women and children today that your name might be glorified? In Jesus' name, amen.